I'm going to share something with you that's personal. Um, I thought it would be a great way to finish up this series today. Uh, I do not have a tattoo, okay? So nowhere on my body do I have a tattoo. I, I've never had a desire to have a tattoo. It wasn't like I was a teenager, like, man, I just got to get a tattoo. Maybe some of you have done that. Please understand we're not a church that's like, we look down on tattoos. I know a lot of people have tattoos. Probably everybody else in this room has a tattoo, <laughs> except even the kids, but, but I don't. Hey, no big deal. We love tattoos, okay? And, and here's why I love tattoos. Tattoos tell a story. Right? They tell a story. They tell a story about events that have taken place in your life or experiences that you have had. Uh, maybe they, they <laughs> tell a story about that guy and that girl, and you're trying to figure out, how do I get rid of this tattoo? And so you're kind of in that, that boat. And maybe for others of us, uh, our tattoo is a reminder of someone uh, that we've lost that's close to us. But, I mean, that's what tattoos do. They tell your story. They are part of of who you are. Now, imagine that you go to the tattoo parlor and the tattoo artist spends hours, hours and hours and hours on this, this tattoo you've been thinking about, you've been dreaming about for so long. And, and they get finished and they're like, hey, I'm done. Go check it out in the mirror. And then you see images like this. Take a look at this. Life it what you make it. That's not right. Is that not right? All right. Maybe you got this one right here. Never don't give up. Sounds like our kids talking. Here's another one. Leave a comment below. Left out an M. I don't know why you'd put that on your head, but there you go. And then we got this last one. No regrets. And I don't even know if these are real or somebody did these for fun or what the story is. But, uh, but you probably have a tattoo and you have no regrets that you have that tattoo, right? Hey, tattoos, they do tell a story, but, but if this is you, one of the things you're going to do as soon as you get ready to, to get up and you look in the mirror, you're going to try to fix that, right? You're going to try to fix that tattoo because you don't want no regrets on your arm for the rest of your life. <laughs> tattoos stay with us. And I know today that they can do a lot of things. I'm not sure they can quite take away every piece of the tattoo is there, but maybe they can get it to a place where it's faded, Maybe they get it to a place where there are just scars that are left. But, but no matter what, that tattoo is still a part of who we are. And today, as we finish this series, Me and My Big Mouth, that we're talking about words. And we've been talking about words over the past few weeks. And, and what we've said is that every single one of us in this room, if we're a man, if we're a woman, we say on average 16,000 words every single day. And if we say 16,000 words, as we've said, we're going to say words that we regret. But, but here's the deal. If you think about this. If the words that we say to other people, right, were to show up as tattoos on their skin, would we start to watch the words that came out of our mouth? I mean, there would be a lot of words that we wouldn't say because we wouldn't want other people to know. Or, or we wouldn't want those words to be tattooed on their skin. Now, thankfully, that's not the way our bodies work. But I actually think it's worse than that. See, when we say words to other people that are out of bitterness and anger and rage, and we kind of talked about this last week, out of sarcasm and we're trying to hurt someone else, when we say words like that, they're not tattooed on our skin, but they are tattooed on our soul. And they stay with us. They stay with us forever. And now maybe they're faded uh, maybe there's scar tissue that is there. Maybe we've kind of learned how to, to get beyond those words. But nevertheless, those words are still tattooed on our soul. And it may not be just the words that are tattooed on us. It could be the words that, that we've said that are tattooed on other people's souls. And if you think about that, that may be worse than anything else. 
What words have we said that are tattooed on, on the souls of others? What words are, are tattooed on us? Maybe these phrases are familiar to you. Um, you're damaged goods. You're too irresponsible. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You'll never amount to anything. I wish you were never born. No one will ever love you. Maybe those are some of the words that are tattooed on our souls. And maybe those are words that you and I have used to describe other people. But that's the power of our words. Those words, once we say them, once they are out, man, they become a part of someone's soul. Now, in Scripture, we find that there are a couple of of, um, specific um, words that are talked about or ways that we use words that impact lives in in a negative way. I want to share a couple of those. And then as we finish up this morning, I want to talk about how we can speak life into people because in some ways I feel like this series has been negative. And it is because you and I, we we say things with our our big mouth and and we regret them. But I want to talk about two areas specifically. First one is something called gossip. It's called gossip. In, In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, it says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. In the uh, New Testament, we find this word gossip quite frequently. We find the term gossiper. It actually just means whisperer. But if you think about gossip, isn't that what gossip is? It's when we whisper something to someone else. We, we whisper some information that we've heard. We, we whisper some rumor that maybe we started. We whisper it. We, we kind of do it in quiet. We, we don't want them to find out. Now, we want to tell everybody else, but we don't want that person to find out. And so that's exactly what gossip is. It's whispering words or thoughts or ideas or rumors. And and maybe sometimes there's a little bit of truth there, but for the most part, there's not. It's something that's made up. It's meant to hurt someone else. And that's what gossip does. Gossip hurts other people. Let me ask you, how does it feel when gossip comes back to you about yourself? It's painful, isn't it? It hurts because one of the things that we do, we're really good at identifying gossip in others. But when it comes to us, we we can't see it in ourselves. And yet we find, again, throughout Scripture, how gossip tears people apart. It tears relationships apart. And so when we gossip, when we whisper about others, what we're doing is we're actually tattooing that gossip on their souls. Something that is there for them, maybe for a lifetime. But, but gossip isn't just things we say. Gossip's all about what we hear, too. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4, it says, Wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars play co- pay close attention to slander. Again, it's not only what we say, it's what we hear. Now, maybe you, you hear a lot of gossip, and, and let me just say, if you do, you kind of have to think about yourself for a moment, right? Why do people keep sharing gossip with you? Maybe for you, it's like, I just want to be a sounding board for other people. I just want them to feel like they've got a place where they can freely express everything that they're feeling about life. No, what you're doing is you're enjoying the gossip that is going on. So not only are you a person that maybe says gossip and shares gossip, but are you a person who listens to it? Because if people feel safe to come to us and share gossip, we're probably as uh, in the middle of all of that as anyone else. We're as responsible for those words as anyone else is. And yet that's what gossip is. Gossip is about words that we say. Gossip is about words that we hear. And again, what does gossip do? It destroys relationships. It kills marriages. 
that ends friendships. Uh, and sometimes it destroys organizations too. One of the places that we find gossip more than any other is the church. Um, I grew up in the church. I think I've shared this before. Uh, my dad was a pastor for 42 years uh, from the time I was a kid. And so I kind of experienced that whole church life. I'm in ministry now. Uh, being around other pastors and churches quite frequently in, in my life living, growing up and then now. Uh, if you were to ask the pastors that I hang out with, hey, what's one of the biggest issues maybe you've had in your churches? The churches that God's called you to lead, they, they would say gossip. The gossip is one of the biggest issues because it tears people apart. It tears churches apart. And yet here, here we are. We're called to be followers of Christ, right? We're called to follow Jesus. And yet what do we find? That in the church, gossip seems to run more rampant than anywhere else. And what does it do? It hurts people. It causes disunity. Uh, it brings strife within relationships within a church. And it's always fascinating to me because gossip in the church seems to take place when, when change is happening within churches, right? Again, maybe you've experienced this in, in your past in churches you've been a part of. Um, or, or when churches are growing, this is one I never understood. When churches are growing, gossip seems to start to find its way into the church. And I, I don't know why that is. But that's what gossip does. It finds its way in. And, and what we see with it is it causes dissension. It causes, some of you maybe have experienced this before in churches. It causes splits within churches. Sometimes those churches die because of gossip. Now, some of you are sitting here right now. You're like, uh-oh, is there something wrong with the journey church? Is he getting ready to, <laughs> he's getting ready to lay it out right here. Hey, look, um, I've been in this role for two years. And I, at this point, have not heard of gossip happening. Haven't heard from the staff. Heard, haven't heard from leaders within our church. So, I think for the most part, we're pretty healthy in this, but I do think this is a warning to us within this setting, that if we're not careful, gossip can run rampant. Last week, we talked about Ephesians and Paul, and Paul writes about how important our words are, how they're supposed to be used to, to build other people up. And then if we don't do that, he talks about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, that when we don't build people up and we tear people down, that God may be doing something in someone's life. He may be building something there, and they may be at this point of, of their life being changed and transformed forever. And yet in that moment, they could hear one thing, one piece of gossip about them from someone else or even about someone else. And in that moment, that whole house can just fall to the ground, which, by the way, I think would grieve the Holy Spirit, which would grieve God. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, and I don't care if it's at this church or any other church, wherever you may end up, if you move from here, you decide, hey, this place isn't for me. Uh, look, that, that has the potential to happen. And we have the potential to say things that we regret. And gossip is one of the ways that that can take place. Maybe one of the things that you and I can do if we are followers of Jesus is if we're in one of those moments where someone is sharing something that we know they shouldn't be sharing. And again, this may be in the church. This may be in the business world. Gossip kills businesses. Uh, it may be in your family. It may be in your marriage. I mean, if, if you find that you're in this moment, here's the best thing I think we can do. What about in that moment we shared two or three very positive things about those individuals? Hey, what if we said, hey, let me, let me tell you a little bit about them. Let, let me share these two things with you that I know about them. I know people who do that, and you know what it does? It totally changes the conversation at that moment. 
Because what's happening is someone who's sharing gossip is thinking, hey, I'm trying to get an audience here. Because maybe they can't get an audience anywhere else. And I'm going to get an audience here. And I'm going to share what I know or what I think I know or what I think I've seen in this particular person's life or in this family's life. I'm going to share this. And yet if you jump in in that moment like, hey, let me tell you these two things or three things about this person. It'll totally change that conversation. Positive things, by the way. But gossip can be an issue for, for all of us, I believe. And we're called to be better than that, to watch what we say. And gossip is one of those things that can get in our way. There's another piece to this, or another example we have of using our words to hurt others. And we can do that through complaining. We can do that through criticism. And the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 14, says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as Children of God shining like bright lights into a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know the critics, the complainers. Uh, Maybe they sit in the cubicle beside you at work. Maybe they come visit you at your cubicle every single day and tell you all this information that they're they're upset about. And they're, they're criticizing what's going on in the company. They're complaining about somebody they work with. Maybe it's somebody who comes by your house every evening. They've got things that they want to share about the community and what's going on. Maybe you sleep beside that person in your bed every night, right? They complain and criticize, and it's actually directed directly at you. Um, again, this is an issue for, for many of us, that we criticize everything. We complain about everything. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too quiet. It's too loud. It's too far. It's too close. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on, and they're just never, ever, ever happy. And again, we find these people in every aspect of life, from family to friendships, at your community pool. I mean, all these different places. People who complain. People who criticize everything. One of the things that we find, though, is that what's lacking many times is for that individual, they are at this place because, and this is what I find with with individuals who, who do this, their life's a mess. I mean, their life is a mess, and so because their life is a mess, they want everybody else's life to be a mess, too. They kind of hold on to that bitterness. Again, we talked about this last week. They hold on to this bitterness. And, and because they're bitter, they want everybody else to be bitter. And so this criticism comes. This complaining happens. But again, we've got to change the words that we say. In their book, The Carrot Principle, Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton, they um, did a 10-year study on 200,000 employees. And what they found was that 79% of the employees they talked to quit their job because of pay? No. Too many benefits? Too, too few benefits? No. Too many hours? Not enough hours? No. 79% of these employees quit their jobs because of the lack of encouragement. Think about that for a moment. What did they want? Did they want more pay? They probably did. Did they want better benefits? I'm sure they did. Did they want to work less hours? Yeah. But the biggest issue was the lack of encouragement. The people that they worked with, their bosses, they didn't encourage him. What, what did they do? They complained. They were critical of them over and over and over again. Think about the places that you work. Think about the people that you're around, the organizations that you volunteer in. Man, how powerful would it be if encouragement was always a part of that? And don't get me wrong, sometimes people got to complain. Sometimes people got to be critical of the work that we're doing. But at the same time, there's power in encouragement. What if people took the time to encourage you? 
What if you and I took the time to encourage others? What difference would that make? Here's what I think. I think it would give life to so many relationships. It would give life to so many people at work. It would change who we are. It would change how we work. It would change our relationships. And what do we need? <laughs> A little bit of encouragement. The gossip and complaining and, and critiquing and criticizing. I mean, this has become a norm for us. And someone told me a little bit earlier, they said, what about social media? I'm like, yeah, social media too. I mean, that's one of our favorite places to be passive aggressive. Right? Every single one of us, like, I don't want to say this to your face, but we type it all up and send it out to the whole world to see, or we text it out. It's easy for us to do that. All we're doing is we're leaving scars. All we're doing is tattooing those words, whether written or typed or said, on the souls of others. And they're going to stay there till the day they die. And they're going to stay in our own souls till the day we die. And they may be faded, they may be scars, but they're still there. That's why I think we're called to bring life and to speak life into the lives of others. I want to talk now for the rest of our time. There's a passage in Ezekiel. If you have uh, your Bible, you can turn there. It's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet. Okay, He's a prophet of God. If you don't know what a prophet was for God, these prophets were people that God chose. And God said, hey, this is what I want you to say to the Israelites. This is what I want you to do in front of the Israelites. And the prophets would, would, would say, hey, sure, not a problem at all. And so they would speak those words to the Israelites. They'd go do this action in front of the Israelites. And, and God would use that to impact the Israelites. Now, Ezekiel, I like to call him Eze. He's kind of a little bit easier to say, right? So Eze here, Eze had a pretty sweet little deal. He, uh, he was a prophet of God, but um, here's how much he loved God. <laughs> He loved God so much, one time he took his scroll, which, you know, the, the scroll, the Old Testament there, and um, the, the first five books, and, and he ate it. He ate it. Now, I don't recommend that you eat the Bible, okay? Might be a good source of fiber, but please don't do it. It's probably not healthy for you in many other ways. But, um, but that's what he did. Here was his purpose. I love God. And this is what God's word means to me. I want it to be a part of me. I want to devour it. And that really was the metaphor there. That was the story he was trying to tell. Hey, Israelites, this is what you need to do. Devour scripture. Make this connection with God. Let God be a part of everything that you are. And so he eats a scroll. Well, here in Ezekiel, we find what we're going to read today. This is about 10 years removed from the Babylonians coming in and destroying the Israelites. They are mentally, mentally devastated. They are physically and emotionally and spiritually devastated. They, they are at a total loss. And there's this question I think they're all asking, where's God in this? Now, before we go into Ezekiel 37, that may be the place that many of us are in too. That, that we're in this place in our life where we feel destroyed and devastated mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually and we're asking that question, where is God? And I think what we're going to read here kind of gives us a glimpse to where God is. In Ezekiel chapter 37, starting with verse 1, here's what we read. And it's this vision that, that God gives to Ezekiel. It says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out 
God gives Ezekiel this vision, and this vision is of this valley. And in this valley, there's all these scattered bones, and, and they're not attached to anything. They're all dead. They're, they're dried out. I mean, anything you can imagine, they're just laying there. Now, these bones are, are to, to be an example, or actually to, to um, be the, um, a picture of the Israelites at that moment. Like, like this is where they are. This is what they're experiencing. This, this is what they are feeling in their own lives. They're, they're dried out and they are, are dead. When words are spoken to us that um, are words like gossip or, or criticism or complaining or negative, what happens to us? Don't, don't we many times feel just like those dried up, dead bones? Like we're just kind of laying there. We feel devastated by what's taking place and what's happening in those words. And again, they're tattooed on our souls. And we wonder, again, where is God in all of this? And so we have this beginning piece for this image of this vision that God is giving Ezekiel. Look at the beginning of verse 3. It says, Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Guys, like, these are dried out dead bones. But, but Ezekiel, can, can they come back to life? Can, can they live again? Can they breathe again? All you see is carnage. All you see is destruction. But can something else happen here? Now, these, these bones aren't almost dead or nearly dead. They're completely dead. And here was Ezekiel's response in the rest of verse 3. O sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. Again, here's a guy who loved God. He had this connection to God. And so he doesn't question God's abilities. like, God, you, you're God. I mean, you can do anything you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. Yet yeah, you can bring these bones back to life. Look at verse 4. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to those bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so God tells Ezekiel, this is what you're to say. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to give those bones, I'm going to put them back together, and I'm going to give them muscles, and I'm going to give them flesh, and I'm going to give them skin, and I'm going to bring them back to life. And this is what you have to say to those bones. Look at verse 7. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies but they still had no breath in them. In this vision, Ezekiel speaks, and then there's all of a sudden there's all this rattling because all these bones are coming back together, and then all you see is muscles, and you see this flesh and this skin, and, and he sees all of this, and, and what does he find? He finds here are these, these bodies. that They've been put back together. But you notice what he says there. There's still no breath in them. They're still lifeless. Maybe you and I walk around lifeless because of the words that have been spoken to us. Maybe the people around us walk around lifeless because of the words that have been spoken to them, maybe even from us. 
We're lifeless. We're, we're looking for some sort of breath. We're looking for, for life to be breathed back into each one of us. And here in the story, we see that here is Ezekiel says, I see everything. I see all these bodies, but there's no life. See, words have the power to make us lifeless. Words have the power to, to leave, this, um, leave this pain and hurt and destruction in us. Dr. Matthew Lieberman is a researcher, and he was fascinated because he, he found that people love to use physical expressions, sometimes violent physical expressions, to describe emotional and, and relational pain. Like, she broke my heart, right? We use a physical expression to, to talk about emotional pain that we have. Or I feel like I got punched in the gut. Again, a physical expression for emotional pain that, that we feel. And so as he was listening, thinking about this, like something's not right here. There, there's got to be some correlation here with how our bodies respond in those moments. If that's the language that we use to describe these relational and emotional experiences of pain and hurt that we have. So here's what he decided to do. He said, I'm going to look at brain scans. I'm going to look at brain scans and I'm going to see, is there a connection here? And so what he did, he looked at the brain scans of people who had broken bones and the brain scans of people who had broken hearts. You know what he found? The brain scans were exactly the same. He said, if you were to look at someone with a broken bone and someone with a broken heart, you would find that their scans looked exactly the same. You couldn't tell the difference between the two. Oh, why is that? Well, it's because that physical pain that we feel when we break a bone really isn't any different than the emotional pain and hurt we feel when we have a broken relationship, when our marriage is broken, when our friendships are broken. And if I were to ask us in here, how many of us would say, hey, I'd take a broken bone over a broken marriage? My guess is most of us, if not all, would say, I'll take that broken bone. Or a broken bone and a broken relationship with my parents, I'll take the broken bone. A broken bone and broken relationship with family and friends and my kids, man, I take a broken bone every single day. How do these things happen? How do we get to this place where that's the kind of pain that we feel in our relationships emotionally? It's all because of the words that we use. It's all because of the words that are spoken to us. That's the power of words. Many of us walk around lifeless because of the words that have been spoken to us, the gossip that's been shared about us. And in fact, we see that in the lives of others. Here's Ezekiel. He says, I see these bodies. They've been put back together, but they're lifeless. But then he says this in verse 9. Excuse me, then God says this to him. Um, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. God says, hey, now here's what I want you to say to those lifeless bodies that are there, Ezekiel. And here's how it finishes up in verse 10. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Ezekiel uses these words, breath, breathe, wind, a spirit, frequently here in these 10 verses. And um, it's all the same word, actually, in Hebrew. It's this word, ruach, R-U-A-H, ruach. Ruach is, is this Hebrew word that's said over and over and over again, and it means God's spirit. Now, the first time we actually connect with this word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, 
It talks about God's spirit hovering. And if you think about it, what's, what's it hovering over? It's ho- hovering over emptiness. It's hovering over lifelessness. And what does God's spirit do? What does this ruha do? It, it, it brings breath and God's spirit and life and creation. It has the same impact on our lives. That when we are lifeless, what can God do? God can give his spirit to us. As, as here is Ezekiel looking at all these Israelites, lifeless, and they're, they're trying to figure out where is God. God says, I'm going to bring them life. I'm going to breathe my spirit into them. I'm going to give them my ruha, and it's going it's to change who they are. I'm going to bring life to them. But, but Ezekiel, here's the deal. I need you to be the one who speaks this life and gives them this life for me. As we look at Ezekiel here, as we think about the words that are tattooed on our hearts, our souls, the words that we speak that end up being tattooed on the souls of others, I think there's sort of this pattern that Ezekiel gives us that can be beneficial to us when we are struggling in this area. The first thing is he listens to God. He listens to God. God says, hey, Ezekiel, I need you to listen to me. And maybe for you and I, that's what we need to do. Maybe, maybe for you and I, we need, to, we need to eat some scripture. We need to soak it in. We need to become a part of, of who we are. We need to listen. We need to listen to God. The very first week, we talked about being quick to listen and slow to speak. And many of us are quick to speak and slow to listen. Maybe the first place we need to listen is to God. Ezekiel listens to God. And then God says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Because the next piece here is that, that he speaks what God says. God says, this is what I want you to say. And that's exactly what Ezekiel does. He speaks what God says. He says, this is what God says. And he shares those words. It could be that you and I need to listen to God first. And then through prayer and through reading scripture and maybe just some quiet times, sometimes we hear what God says and then it's a moment to speak. But we're pretty quick to speak first. But do we speak what comes from God? Ezekiel listens to God. He speaks what God says to speak. And then lastly, he watches what God does. And this is what I love about this. He watches what God does. God says, I'm going to bring life back into these bodies. And what happens? Life comes back into these bodies. And it could be for you and I, this is the place that we need to understand that, that we have God's spirit in us. If we are a follower of Christ, that if we listen to God and we speak those words, God's going to do something amazing. But we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to get rid of the bitterness and the anger and the slander and the gossip and the complaining and the criticism. And we have to begin to listen to God and speak what God tells us to say. Because there's power in that. We have a lot of teachers here at The Journey. And I know that you, um, you see the power of words probably more than anybody else. You watch kids in your classes and in your schools and you've seen the power of those negative words said into their life, spoken into their life that are tattooed on their souls every single day that they live. My mom was a school teacher for 26 years. I mean, she could tell you stories like you can too about just watching kids who are just destroyed and devastated because of what their parents or guardians, what they've said to them. And yet at the same time, teachers, here's what I love. You also have the power to speak life into those kids. And you do that on a daily basis. And I know sometimes you sit back and you think, this is not working. 
I mean, I've been doing this all year long. Here's what I will promise you. It's making a difference in their lives. You're tattooing something else on their souls. But you know what? That's the power that you have. And the rest of us, we're not any different. And whatever we do as a parent, as a family member, as a friend, as a spouse, as a co-worker within this church, we have the power to speak life into lifeless bodies. The bodies that are tattooed with scars because of words that have been said and said to, to others. And we can speak life. Can, can these dead bones, can they come back to life? Yes, they can. But it takes an effort from us to listen to God, to speak what God tells us to speak, and then the best part is to watch God do what God does best. As we come to this time of communion here at the journey, if we're a follower of Jesus, this is, this is the life we're called to. This is the life that we are called in speaking truth, but also speaking with love, saying the right things at the right time with the right amount of love from, from God has the power to transform lives. And, and many of us in this room, we are different. We're followers of Jesus. Why? Because someone spoke to us at the right time, the right words, with the right amount of love that came from God. And so as we finish up this series today, my prayer is that for you and for me that we will live a life full of integrity, really, and character by what we say, uh, that we'll hold back, that we will we'll guard our mouths, that we'll do whatever it takes so that we can speak life into others. As I believe, God speaks life into us. This mo morning, as we take the bread and the juice, and may this be a reminder for us, and maybe this is a morning where we need to go and we need to have that conversation with someone, or we know someone who needs life spoken into them, and maybe today's the day to do that.